Welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm a pastor of Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington. We're a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, a welcoming community growing closer to and more like Jesus, making Christ known joyfully, serving each other, our neighbors, and all God's creation. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thanks for listening today. I've been out for a couple weeks. I attended a preaching conference recently. I'm recording this for Memorial Day weekend, and I am mindful of and grateful to God for the soldiers, sailors, and civilians over the decades and centuries who have given their lives in service to this nation, in service to the ideals, values, and the best of who we are and are becoming as the United States of America. Mindful as well as the recent, of the recent gun violence making headlines across this nation. Some of it's racially motivated. Some of it has to do with mental illness. Some of it seems to be an expression of the general anxiety and rage infecting our whole country. A consistent reminder of just how many guns are out there. And so today we lament and grieve with communities of Buffalo and Uvalde as well as Ukraine, Palestine, Nicaragua, and the places around the world, and in our own neighborhoods where violence and terror and warfare rage on. God have mercy on us all. Did you ask, where, where is Jesus when you need him? Seriously, in this day, day and age, as the people of faith, it may be the most important question on our hearts. I was in a small group discussion recently uh, the group was posed the question, what in the world is God doing? Not enough, said one of my friends. It sure feels that way sometimes. Well, I, believe, I believe it turns out that Jesus is closer than we think. And today's reading from the end of the Gospel of Luke tells us that we don't need to look for Jesus down there or up there or back there or someday. No, Jesus is here, now, and is recognized and real in you and me today, in the world, in the breaking of bread, in the mirror, in the study of scriptures, in the eyes of every neighbor, widow, orphan, and immigrant. So let's read this story of the ascension of our Lord, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 53. And we'll take a fresh look at this story and what it means for us today. So please open your Bible to Luke chapter 24, verse 36, and we'll dive in. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 36. While the women and the apostles were still talking about this, Jesus himself appeared among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. 
and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Here ends the reading. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So the Gospel of Luke ends appropriately with the risen Christ Jesus ascending into heaven, sitting on the right hand of the Father. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, as we state in our creed. His parting words to his followers are various forms of the Great Commission. Luke records Jesus saying, You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, preaching the forgiveness of sins in my name. Or the more familiar rendering of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. But let me take, just take a little step back and, and wonder exactly how are we to understand this whole Jesus ascending into heaven thing? Where exactly do we imagine that Jesus went? Is the place where God is up there somewhere? Where exactly? Above the clouds? Past Mars? In this galaxy? In this dimension? Is heaven part of the multiverse? And for that matter, what's so special about the right hand of the Father, some of us who are left-handed might ask, that Jesus would sit there? So, knowing what we know today about the sky and the solar system and about Earth's core, I want to invite a different reading, a different understanding of the ascension of Jesus. To say that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father is a way of affirming that the resurrection vindicates him, proves that Jesus is who Jesus says he was. And thus, as Matthew puts it, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Jesus is, as we would say today, the Father's right-hand man. So in ascending to heaven, descending to the dead, I think it's okay for us to use these terms, but to understand them well, metaphorically, we take the literal parts of the Bible literally, and we take the metaphorical parts of the Bible metaphorically. In fact, the word for heaven here has both the sense of heaven, that is the place where God resides, but also the heavens, that is the air, the sky, the clouds, everything that's above the earth and sea. So one scholar suggests that a more accurate understanding of the ascension story would be to say that Jesus disappeared into thin air right in front of their eyes. It's not unlike how the angel choir disappeared into the heavens the night Jesus was born. I mean, what makes us so sure that they ever left? What if we just can't always see or hear the angels singing? And in the same way, maybe Jesus didn't go anywhere. Maybe we're just looking for him in the wrong places. Okay, stay with me here. I am kind of a mystic about all this stuff. But Luke chapter 24, hear me out. Luke chapter 24 begins with the women on Easter morning finding an empty tomb instead of the, the body of Jesus. And while they're wondering about this, two angels show up and they ask him this question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? You won't find them down there. 
Because if we want to find Jesus, if we want to see Jesus, the Bible says, don't look down among the tombs in the ground. Don't look into the past to see what happened a long time ago. Don't look for Jesus in yesterday. But now fast forward to the first chapter of the book of Acts, which is Luke's sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And again, the ascension of Jesus is reported and leaving the disciples looking up into the heavens, jaws agape. And sure enough, those two angels show up again and ask them the same question. Why are you looking for Jesus up there? I think the Bible wants us to know that we're, we're not to look for Jesus up there, in the clouds, in heaven, in some far off future. Don't look for Jesus in tomorrow either. Well, if we don't look for Jesus yesterday, we don't look for Jesus in tomorrow. What day is between yesterday and tomorrow? The answer is today. And what's between up there and down there? The answer is right here. The Bible says it, uh, that when the women and disciples are together, they're testifying, they're worshiping, they're breaking bread together. And that's when Jesus shows up in their midst, in the flesh. He blesses them with his presence and with his peace. As I read this account today, I now suspect that Jesus had been there the whole time. In between the empty tomb and the empty sky, Jesus is alive and active and keeps on showing up in the flesh. He hugs a grieving Mary at the tomb. He facilitates a Bible study and breaks bread with Cleopas. He blesses the apostles in the upper room. He fixes breakfast on the shore. He shows them the scars on his hands and feet. He even gets hungry, and they whip up some broiled fish for him. It is precisely in the proclamation, in the witnessing, in the breaking of bread, in the study of Scripture, in the fellowship of the believers, that the women and the other apostles recognize the real presence of Jesus in their midst back then and now. This reality is also described in the parable of the sheep and goats in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is enfleshed in the hungry person as you feed her, in the prisoner or hospital patient when you visit them, in the immigrant when you house him, in the least of these, your brothers and sisters. Or the prayer of St. Patrick, that that mid-fifth century Irish missionary, put it this way, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. When I began working as a hospice chaplain, I quickly learned, realized that the Holy Spirit of God is always present, always at work. I learned and understood that Jesus shows up in that hospital room long before I ever get there. My job then and now and to this day is never to bring God into a room. My job is to go into that room open to and available to recognize the presence of Christ already in the room, to name it, proclaim it, to see Christ at work, and then to embody that spirit of Christ in my words and my actions, in my love and care. See, Jesus didn't go anywhere. His ascension signifies that Jesus goes everywhere. Jesus is loose in the neighborhood. King David experienced the presence of the Spirit of Christ over a thousand years before Jesus, and he writes about it in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit, he asks. Where can I flee from your presence? 
After all, he reasons, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The revelation that King David experienced is the same revelation that leads the Apostle Paul a thousand years later to to come to his famous and blessed conclusion about the presence and provision of Christ written in the eighth chapter of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul writes? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, he writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The ascension of our Lord means that you are not alone, that Jesus is alive, that Christ is in every eye that sees you and in every ear that hears you. The ascension of our Lord means that Christ is present in the flesh in those school children in Uvalde, in the teachers too, and in the mentally ill shooter, and in those shoppers in Buffalo, and in that shooter too. See, the real presence of Christ reveals just how bound to sin we are convicts us of our complacency and racism and our unwillingness or inability to protect our children, to regulate our guns, to treat our mentally ill. Christ is present in the massacre. And Christ is with us in our grief, in our horror, in our fear. Christ is with us on our worst days, and on our best days. For nothing can separate you, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as the Spirit of Christ lives in you and me, we, the church, we, the people of faith, we are called to testify, to bear witness, to name and to claim and even embody the Spirit of Christ, to make Christ known here and now, Martin Luther would say that we are little Christs to one another, to our neighbors, and to the world. We, the people of faith, the church, called to be a sign, an instrument, a foretaste of the kingdom of God, to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And so when we eat together, when we pray together, when we study the scriptures together, when we bear witness, tell our stories, break the bread, as it were, we come to recognize the flesh and blood of Jesus among us, in our neighbor, in ourselves, in our congregation, in the immigrant, Christ in every eye that sees me and in every ear that hears me. That is the sense of what we try to say in our vision and mission statement here at Faith, that we're making Christ known as we serve and worship and study and eat and testify to the amazing love of God. And here's the thing, folks. It is so easy to get off track. It's so easy to lose sight of our mission. 
The history of the church is filled with generation after generation of churches that fixate on the past or obsess about the future. We blaspheme the name of Jesus through our moral failures, through our anxieties, through our participations in the human systems of oppression. We break God's heart when we turn away from each other, when we put politics before God's people or money before God's mission. And still, still, Jesus comes. The Spirit of Christ is alive in the world today, alive in us today, bringing life out of death, courage out of fear, joy out of sadness, and hope out of despair. So remember four things today, folks. Number one, Christ is in you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Number two, Christ is in your neighbor, in every eye that sees you and in every ear that hears you. Number three, Christ is in this congregation. And together we are witnesses, living temples, the hands and feet of Christ in the world today. And number four, Christ is in this world. May Spirit give us eyes to recognize him, faith to follow him, and courage to do his will. Well, that's what I've got for you today. Thanks for listening, folks. Jazz, thanks for your help with this podcast every week. Uh, go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, for resources for how to get to know Christ, to make Christ known, for growing closer to and more like Jesus, for connecting to the larger faith community here in Shelton. Hope you'll sign up for our weekly emails or like us on Facebook or make a financial donation to faith. Maybe you want to subscribe to this We'll Preach for Food Cup podcast. Whatever you decide, I'll leave you with one of my favorite blessings in the Bible. This one's from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of the glorious riches of God you may be strengthened with all power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So now to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh,